0: Welcome to the Perspective Podcast. My name is Eric. And I'm Andy. And uh, we're going to be talking on uh, a few topics. Actually, mainly, Andy has
1: brought in a fantastic and fascinating topic today. I'm just going to let you um, start it up. So this is a very multifaceted question. So a right. uh, simple question, complicated answer. So the question goes, uh, why most households work 80 hours per week now, uh, whereas in the 1980s and 90s, <laughs> Uh, 40 hours per household per week was enough for a comparable standard of living. Okay. Um, That's a great question. Right? So yeah, very valid question. Um, so, you know, why is that? So, so when you read, let me ask you this, when you, without doing any research, uh, chronologically, when you saw that and you did any research, what was your instinct of an answer? I mean, obviously inflation is always going to have some part in this, um, just being the basic of how we measure these types of things, but, right. um, but also the bigger issue is this issue of inequality. Um, and that's going to be kind of the biggest, you know, biggest answer to this question, the simplest answer to this question. Right. Uh, but at the same time, probably the most prolific reason why uh, this is the case. But that being the case, uh, you know, we'll save that for last. Right. And uh, right. touch on some okay. other points first. So, okay. Uh, but first and foremost, yeah. um, you know, you have the... The issue that there are more things to spend money on nowadays. Um, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, televisions were pretty much you know yeah. widespread, but aside from that, you didn't have you know phones in your pockets. You didn't have all anywhere near the you know the extent of technology and. Um,
0: so you're going back to the 80s widespread. and ni- the 1980s and 90s. Really.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Making me feel real old about. That. Yeah. <laughs> well, and 80s. I mean, you can even you can even say that the 70s is kind of what built towards this. Right. Um, Point. right um, because the, the 70s was you know 70s and 80s were a time of prosperity and then we kind of started to see in 90s and, and then into the 2000s you kind of arced into into the you know the point we find ourselves now that kind of peaked a little bit you know a few years ago and um, is now starting to you know go down a little bit but uh, all the same it's kind of been a, a gradual building like you can call the 80s or 90s at somewhat of a turning point. And that's, that's what's uh,
0: curious to me. and I know you going to get to that research in a minute. Yeah. Um, when did this start? Cause I, the question, um, that was asked on that post that you read, um, I don't know if you want to read it. What, did it say from a certain point or did it just say like back when our parents were young, or what, what did it say?
1: Uh, mainly the eighties and nineties, just because that's, you know, for most people, that's fairly easy to, you know, reference. Uh, most people have a frame of reference for, okay. you know, how things were back then, uh, just culturally and also because that was kind of when TV became a big thing, so we can easily see, just by looking back through TV, um, and how, you know, everyday life was portrayed then, um, we can get a pretty good idea of what the standard of living was like, and uh, it was already difficult at that time, that's how, that's what I'm saying, like, yeah, already, well, definitely by the 90s, it was already, you, you can't, and I mean, I guess this point just serves to, you know, serves to demonstrate how quickly things changed, Um okay. Because, I mean, really, you could say the 60s and 70s were really kind of a heyday and, a, you know, a time of, of great prosperity in the United States. Um, but really, it was it was up until the 80s. Um, and right now I'm kind of looking at the distribution of income. Um, it was really you have kind of two points. So you've got 1928, um, which is obviously going back much further than this. But it's really kind of where um, inequality peaks Um and then naturally 1928, you had the great depression started, the, you know, stock market crash, mm-hmm. um, not coincidentally, um, then you have this kind of fall, um, in inequality. And then you have, you know, things by the 1950s and 60s, things started to kind of become a little more even. Uh, mm-hmm. and that's why we have that time of prosperity because it was prosperity, not just for the top, you know, percentage. It was prosperity for the middle class. You had a middle um, class. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, Middle class meaning a majority of people, right. um, and so you know really that lasted all the way up until the 1980s. Um, after the 1980s, it really starts to climb again. Um, so like I said, you have that kind of a peak. Um, in the research that I'm looking at, 2007 is kind of where they, you know, nail that peak mm-hmm. um, from where we built from, you know, basically 1980. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, well, I wasn't going to respond because I, I'm kind of learning <laughs> from what you're saying. Right. I, I, I I guess the time thing throws me off a little bit because the, the middle class, if we're defining it just simply as not poverty and not rich, not wealthy, mm-hmm. um, but what, the middle class does kind of exist and expand and, and, and close like, throughout, at least American history that, I, that I've seen. And I know like in the 70s, we had a couple of recessions, I mean, recessions are, are fairly common. I, I guess what was knocking around on my head the whole time is, w- at what point are we looking at inequality as a cause rather than a result of other policies? At the beginning, I asked, like, okay, inflation was one thing that felt that might explain part of the reason, but inequality was another reason why the standard of living has gotten all whack. So
1: isn't inequality a, a result of something rather than a cause? It's kind of both. Um to give you a, a <laughs> right. paradoxical answer, but yeah, I mean, it's it's something that kind of builds upon itself, um, and that's right. why we see in these types of models um, that it's a it's an exponential model that uh, grows. You know, once it really starts to pick up steam, it really grows until it hits a breaking point, um, and then it really just topples back down. Um, well, what and what there's,
0: causes, like I guess what I mean, it's a hard question to answer. Right? Yeah, no, but what causes yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I mean, really, it's it's a number of factors. Um, and, you know, we'll, we can jump into, I guess, some of these more superficial issues because I think that they really uh, kind of explain why inequality plays such a big role. So, you know, like I mentioned, part of it is more stuff to buy. Um, when there is more prosperity, people start buying more things that, you know, maybe don't necessarily contribute to their economic value or their, you know, prosperity as a whole, but um, are, you know, serve as distractions almost really. Um, and so those are kind of a device of, you know, extracting capital from you know the middle class the majority whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. um, and consolidating that wealth and you know here's an example let me ask you this question
0: based on an example here if a middle class family uh whether it's the mother working the father working or both they work in producing a product that you would consider a distraction maybe not necessity right um you know the latest iphone or whatever which is a necessity in the sense of having a phone, but you know, how fancy it is yeah, might be, it exactly. might be up for, for debate. Um, so the latest knickknack and technology, which you don't need, but it's nice, right? So the family's income is based on that person or persons going to work in that business. Right. Middle class. So why would then another middle class family who buys this product contribute to inequality? You because, see where I'm going with that,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. Um, and the, the reason being is because it doesn't go to the family that's working at the factory. Mm. They're making pennies on a dollar. It, it goes to the corporation um, and the powerful heads, you know, at the top of that corporation. Okay. Um, and you really see over time, as these corporations gain power, you know, power consolidates within those corporations. Um, and again, I mean, like I said, it, it builds, you know, exponentially to to a point essentially where we've reached now. Okay. Uh,
0: so the jobs in middle class has... Automatically, just by having a job as part of a larger
1: corporation, right, funnels money out of the middle class to the upper echelon. Yeah, um, and I mean, just by the nature of technology, once you, as a as a corporation, once you, especially in manufacturing and yeah. you know other similar industries, the more power you have, the more technology you can, you know, the more you can enhance your technology, and the more you can automate out uh, a lot of these workers and uh, and, you know, require less of them. So, you mm-hmm. um, really are kind of cutting out the, you know, the working class and really consolidating that power to those that hold the, you know, hold the ability to automate those types of processes and those who hold the power uh, within these corporate, um, you, know, and it's, it's, yeah, and you So, you feel automation contributes to inequality? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one of the points, and it's just, like I said, it's the nature of technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think, Stephen Hawking said recently that, um, and I'm not quoting him verbatim, but you know, um, more or less the gist of what he said is that it's not technology or uh, artificial intelligence or you know anything like that that's really going to enslave us or you know oppress us or cause great inequality. It's capitalism, mm-hmm. uh, because that's just the nature of a free market: is that you know those that hold the access to this uh, technology are the ones that you know hold the power and hold all the all the resources and Are able to consolidate from there. So a successful capitalist system inevitably leads to inequality. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a very widely held, uh, you know, consensus within, you know, social theory Mm -hmm. Um, and those who study, study capitalism, Um, even from an early time before we had such glaring examples uh, as the one we find ourselves in now. Right. Um, So, you know, it's kind of a, kind of a dizzying prospect to look forward to um, and see kind of where it goes from here. But um, at the same time, you know, as I mentioned before, with each peak or with each, you know, massive consolidation of, of resources, of wealth, of capital, you have these collapses. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether that happens and, you know, whether we find ourselves, you know, say a couple of decades from now back into a period of prosperity for you know, for the middle class or for the rest of us. Right. Um, but it remains to be seen because, you know, it's again, we're we're in unknown territory and, and we've never reached a point like this. And right. know, there's so many complicated issues. But. And, and uh, earlier you mentioned, although inflation was your kind of first
0: gut instinct as an answer when you read the, the question on the post, um, you felt that that
1: was a smaller, like it was part of the issue, uh, the, the part of the cause, a yeah. smaller part. Yeah, so, I mean, just for example, adjusting for inflation, um, there's a lot of other necessary um, costs or necessary things that you must acquire in order to gain, you know, cultural capital, social capital, you know, literal capital. Um, and among those being, you know, kind of the most important thing. So you have college tuition um, in that time period, um, you know, since basically the 1980s mm-hmm. has tripled or quadrupled uh, based on, you know, whatever statistics you're going off of. Right. Uh, that plays an absolutely massive role. Um, uh, in addition to that, um, uh, you also have home prices rising, uh, massively, um, and you've also got, you know, while well, wages continue to fall. So, um, there's a massive paradox that, you know, leads to all of these things, um, that really makes it so that this is kind of why things tend to compound, um, because all of these forces, um, really ultimately just serve to consolidate wealth, um, and on the other hand, you also have, you know, with that comes debt, um, right. debt upon the, you know, the lower class, the, you know, the bottom half, or you know, even more of the, you know, economic spectrum, mm-hmm. um, and people, you know, are more in debt than they ever have been at any point in the past, as evidenced by the, you know, by the debt crises that we faced recently, mm-hmm. um, with the mortgage crisis, and, you know, all those, all those forces that. You know, brought to light a lot of the predatory lending practices, the you know, basically the unfair game that this kind of debt system, uh, you know, places upon people that are in need. That you know, like I said, they want to buy more things, they want to be as prosperous as they were, uh, but they don't necessarily have the means to because wages have decreased, you know, wealth for the masses has decreased. Um, So. It definitely is, and, and to you know, to complicate things yeah. even more, once you are in debt, then you're paying, you know, interest. You're paying interest, right. which is not helping you in any way. It's just taking you further and further consolidating your money, your you know, capital, right. um, into the hands of the you know, the elites.
0: Right. Uh, that's definitely a problem.
1: Yeah. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're, yeah. we're really just describing one massively huge and complex problem. Yeah. In which the middle class, the majority, whatever you want to call it, the people down here mm-hmm. have been massively fucked over right. by the elite, by the top class. I don't disagree with that at all. Um,
0: and how they do it, I think it's 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 multifaceted, as you said. But I think a major thrust, something I read actually before before we started reporting, the power of the dollar, the issue of currency. Um, many times it's kind of swept under the rug as like, okay, of course inflation, but we adjust for inflation. We have other issues. Um, and I, it seems to be a lot more powerful than that. For instance, uh, there wasn't, except for wartime, any significant inflation in the United States from like 1790 something to about 1913. Yeah. I know it's older times, not as much technology and so forth today, but that's over a hundred years, 120 years of existence where inflation only really occurred during wartime. Okay, that's got to be something to consider. Since then, we had a couple of things involving the combination of, of corporate, you know, private enterprise and federal government, such as the Federal Reserve, which, which right. starts... I know I'm going to sound like a libertarian here, but you know, <laughs> let me finish. Um, it started in 1913, which kind of started the issue. And then later on, like in the 1930s, probably in, in response to the Great Depression, who knows... We get off of the gold standard at least partially, and interestingly enough, by 1971 um, we're off the gold standard completely. Which means paper money, or now digital money, just is made to cover debt based on a hope and promise. Right? There's no nothing to back it up. As a kid, when I grew up and hear that, like, even as a teenager, I'm like, well, who cares whether it's gold in a, in a vault or not? Like, what does it matter? Um, interestingly enough. When you're talking about the eighties and how everything has kind of exploded, you know, since then, it seems to be more than just a correlation that we're off of a certain standard, which kind of holds us to, to, to a standard. Literally, we can't spend more. We can't get into more debt as a country if we don't have the money, the, the gold to back it up. Since we're off the gold standard and we have a federal reserve adjusting interest rates, I want to say willy nilly. They, they say according to a certain, you know, uh, uh, control, you know, system, but. That's when inflation really skyrockets. That's when we have recessions and depressions and so forth. When we have the sort of managing of the system. I, I'm going to say by the elites. Okay. To first convince us that we need a federal reserve, we need to get off, you know, the gold, the gold standard. We need, we need to print more money because we need to cover our debt with other countries in China and so forth. And somehow, you know, if you look at the stats, like we, we were like at one twentieth the buying power. That we had maybe 50 years ago. It's 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 because inflation is, is absolutely out of this world. So on top of that, with what you said with you know college, the college costs going up and, and some other of these like you know housing stuff, that's um that's kind of the double vice that we're never in where the power of the dollar is going down, right? And yet cost of things are going up. So it's it, it's it's almost like and and we're not normally aware, I'm almost done here, I want to kind of get this out. It's almost, we're not aware that there's two sides to it, but we're always being told by whoever, the, the, the officials, you know, corporate elite, media and so forth, it's either them as in the corporate jerks or or they, you know, the government bastards, right?
1: And it's both. Yeah. It's both for the system. Yeah, and I mean, we touched on this in a, in a previous podcast and that really you know, nations, governments aren't necessarily as big of role players in this as our corporations or, you know, whatever else you want to call these consolidated agencies of power. Right. Um, and once, you know, once they've consolidated power in such a way, it really allows them to set up these systems and allows them to, you know, rig the game right. in their favor massively. Right. Um, and because it's such a huge multifaceted issue, and obviously the lack of, you know, education has contributes to this, but we're unaware and unable to kind of wrap our heads around what's happening. Um, not least in a way that we are able to change, you know, what's going on. So, um, I mean, it's really in terms of the middle class, the, you know, the majority, um, you know, we're really in, in something of a hopeless situation. I mean, obviously there's always some hope, right. but it's a, it's a very daunting paradigm that we are faced with. So it's like the end of Empire Strikes Back. Hopeless. So not completely. (laughs) I mean, there's still a little bit of hope. Yeah. But it's, it's, it looks pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there's always going to be some hope. And obviously, you know, the voices of the many can only be suppressed for so long. But I mean, we really are reaching a, a tipping point in history where, you know, there's any number of theories or guesses as to how things will turn out because you have the pitting of these very consolidated, very powerful, very organized and very methodical, you know, ruling elites, mm-hmm. um, versus a very, very massively growing populace of, you know, of the rest of us essentially. Right. So, right. um, it's, it, you know, it's, it, like I said, pretty daunting. Um, uh, and just to throw a few sure. statistics at you, um, just looking, you know, at America, uh, and in a lot of ways, America is, not nearly as an equal as other countries, um, but all the same serves as kind of a barometer of, you know, the global economy. Right. Um, but just to give you a reference, uh, the 400 wealthiest Americans own 62% of wealth in America. Uh, the poorest 47% of Americans have no wealth at all, meaning that they are either so far in debt or, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, and that right. they have no significant wealth um, you know, to speak of in terms of how it impacts the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, as comparison in 1983, the poorest 47% uh, had two, two and a half percent of the nation's wealth. So obviously still not great, but at least they were even on the register. But, right. you know, if we were to make that same comparison, it's literally zero percent because they have zero, um, you know, wealth among the poorest 47%. So how
0: much of this do you think is cultural?
1: And what I mean by that is, okay, the numbers speak for
0: themselves, right? We're in a bad spot. People understand, you know, life kind of sucks, but why does life suck according to these people and their families, right? So when I say cultural, is it like the idea that you're... It's almost like a caste system, again, right? Where you're born into a situation where you're obviously not one of the 1%, and you're not one of the top 400 families or whatever it is, you know, that's up there. Um... Is it just your lot in life, a person may think, to do the best you can? Maybe college is not even an option anymore because it's so expensive. You just go, go work and, and just do the best you can with life. Or is there still that sort of, I don't want to use the term American dream, but sort of idea like, I want to aspire to do way better than my
1: parents. Right. Yeah. Well, and if you, if you hadn't used that term, I was about to, but you know, really it's, it's kind of the messed up part of this paradigm is that we have that carrot dangled in front of us, Um, and really that was part of the turning point in the 80s is that American dream and, you know, the idea that, you know, you can do better and and that, you know, that our economy has some semblance to a meritocracy Right. um, that really drove people to, you know, aspire to have more, to have, you know, to keep up with the Joneses, um, to buy more, to have nicer things, to have the nicest, you know, car, nicest house, nicest whatever. Yeah. Um, it really drove us into this unsustainable, you know, unsustainable pattern of acquisition of materialism right. that really kind of like, you know, dug us deeper than, you know, than we even realized until, you know, like I said, we now got a, a pretty daunting debt crisis that, you know, it's unclear how it will ever be resolved. Yeah. Um, at least in the long term. I mean, the elites are capitalizing on desperation and that's kind of what, capitalism does and to a great extent not not only that it's desperation that they manufactured Uh, right i mean that's the greatest yeah yeah and that's again maybe why the past you know three decades serves as a great example is because this whole narrative has played out and it's almost as if you know we had no idea that it was happening and and now here we are and oh shit right right (laughs) Well, I mean, so then, I mean, I guess the, the
0: the next question is, what do you do, right? You know, and we know it's hopeless, or not completely, but, you know, somewhat hopeless. How do you get the individual to think differently and realize, hey, I can do I can do this um, without maybe the, the fanciest technology? You know, in other words, how do you turn it around on a limited budget, you know, and limited education? Okay, limited awareness is probably the word I want to use. How, how, how would you move that around, especially if the elites have rigged the system in a way, not just with the devaluing of money and increasing of debt and the raising of prices or anything from healthcare to college to, you know, to housing. Um, So the system is severely rigged to keep you plummeting down to where that, you know, that bottom 47% is getting nothing, right? No, no wealth that they can actually use on a regular basis. How can you pat them on the back (laughs) and be like, all right, buddy, here's what you, here's what you can do, you know? Um, I know we record podcasts, we're trying to get some, some, you know, awareness out there. Right. Uh, I was listening to a, a, a Joe Rogan podcast. He had Gary Johnson, the libertarian candidate for president. Um, and his big thing was just awareness, you know, obviously third party candidates or whatever had a very, very small chance of winning the presidency, but just trying to bring issues to light, you know, Right. which I know, I, you know, Bernie Sanders is obviously like, you know, the the poster boy can bring issues to light, um, poster man, he's not a boy, um. And I think it's wonderful that people are rallying behind him. And in a way, and I know you want to address that, but I'm going to throw this out there. In a way, the Donald Trump vote is also a protest vote against the system.
1: Yeah. As yeah. much as people
0: want. It's so easy to dismiss people that support Donald Trump and say, oh, you're all racist and you're all, you hate is you know Muslims and so forth. People are just like, if it, it's, instead of Mickey Mouse, they have Donald Trump they can vote for. Right. As a protest
1: vote. And really, I mean, you know, the difference between those candidates is really one of, you know, maybe value, values, whether it's cultural, whether it's political, um, you know, what have you, but ultimately it is that same message of, you know, we realize that we're being screwed over because we have been so screwed over, mm-hmm. and like I said, we finally arrived at this point where there's no denying it now, like, you know, that, you know, the wool may have been pulled over our eyes back in the 80s and 90s when this was all kind of building, mm-hmm. but now that we're here, everybody can see that we're being screwed over because everybody... That is in that bottom 47 percent. They feel it every day, Um, and they have to ask, "How did I get to this point, and how are how is everybody around me also so completely screwed?"
0: And this is, and this is going to sound a little controversial, maybe very controversial, but I say it. I think this is where those folks who are in the state of mind to vote for Hillary Clinton, I'm
1: almost upset with more than those who may vote for Donald Trump and obviously Bernie Sanders. Well, and it's almost a question of like, I don't know, do you blame them or the You know, the information they've been fed, you know, the, the kind of the, you know, the, the con they've been, they've been given.
0: It's, I mean, it's
1: a good con, you know,
0: I'm not, I think it's enough blame to go around. All right. So I, I, I'm (laughs) of the, I'm of the mindset if you're asking that question, I'll, I'll always blame the system first. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because you're born and raised into something and it's difficult to get out of something you've been raised in. Okay. A A train of thought, any, any sort of like philosophy, it's hard to get out of that, you know. So surely, I mean, the system, you know, is, is, to blame if you, if you want to point fingers. But, um, it's also that, you know, we discussed Donald Trump as a protest vote. Bernie Sanders is almost like the salvation vote, you know, um, and then Hillary Clinton is like, let's keep, let keep things going the way they are. Right. That's Absolutely. what that vote is. Yeah. And the way they are, we discussed in the past, I don't know, 30 or 40 minutes, horrible. Yeah. And, and so why not overly... take a risk on Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump? I I'll say that. Why not take a risk on changing the system completely?
1: Yeah, and for, I mean, just, I think for some people that's just a very unsettling thought. I mean, you know, completely uprooting the system for some people is a very, you know, even if their life isn't that great, it's all they've ever known. that's psychology I mean, like, that amazing to me. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's what, strong. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's what they've grown up into. It's it's their world. So to suggest otherwise is to completely shatter that. And some people just aren't ready to do that. You know. Right. I mean, it's. I think we take for granted the the open mindedness that we have and that it's so obvious and evident to us, but you know, it's, it's very easy to understand someone that comes from a different perspective. Um, you know, and I'll just maybe, ask him, maybe having a harder time accepting, um, you know, these maybe more radical right. um, candidates. And I'll just ask him if, if it's working, then keep doing it. That, that's my right. big thing.
0: So yeah, exactly. the incremental, and there's several people I've talked to you, and they're really intelligent, really good people, really nice people that feel that incremental change is the way to go, not radical change. Because uh, incremental change is more realistic, right? And the logic is sound. Like, if you want to make change, and you do a little reform here, pass a bill there, start this organization here. And that's, you know, because that's what you can do is a small change. So certain candidates like like Clinton represent that incremental change. And it's almost throwing your vote away. That's my, my favorite expression to vote for somebody like Bernie Sanders, you know, or, or I guess, you know, the fear mongering of Donald Trump. So that's that's what's frustrating to me is like you, then you are really not wanting change. Like you, in other words, you must be okay with the way things are because if you thought incremental change has happened, you're you're wrong, right? Now I can hear somebody's voice in my head like you know somebody saying um, Obamacare, right? That's a piece of progress, right? Or um, the LBGT victory with, with gay marriage, right? Uh, these are maybe some social things, but my response to them. Is it wasn't government that did that. Government responded to what the people were already pressuring anyway. Right. Even the Civil Rights Act of 1965.
1: I mean, Same thing. Yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's too strong a word to use, but I think delusion um, has a role in this. And that you know people have been so bought into the reality that they've been fed that you know incremental change really is the only way to go. Yeah. Um, because they can't even see right. you know how radical change would work. Um, and truth is none of us really know for sure, Right. but we, we do know that, you know, what's going on now and what's happening now obviously is not working mm-hmm. uh, very drastically. So, yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's such an extent that, um, you know, it's, it's easy once you kind of learn more about the facts and how staggering, um, you know, the inequality is, it's, it's a lot easier to accept a more radical, uh, outlook and, and, a more passionate and an
2: urgent you for change. Can I, can I interject something and real quick? And this is quick? Lee, our producer. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a website called isidewith.com that I found out about during the Gary Johnson, Joe Rogan interview mm-hmm. on the Joe Rogan experience. And um, it gives you like a, like a 30, 40 question quiz where you say, oh, I think this on this topic, I think this, or there's there's a whole spectrum. It's not yes or no. Right. And then it gives you a percentage of how much you match with each candidate. Um and it's really interesting, and I told, it totally caught me off guard. I'm not going to say who I match with. But, um, you remember Trump? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <From laughs> Trump 2016 and 2020. You want to build a wall, right? Yeah, yeah. two walls. Two, yeah. <laughs> we're going to separate Canada, and we're going to separate Mexico. <laughs> um, but, for example, um, Gary Johnson was saying he took the quiz, and he actually matched 73% with Sanders, mm-hmm. and he's a libertarian candidate. So it might catch you off guard who you actually agree with, and you might not even be aware of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, the truth is in, in any of these types of political situations, but really in any, you know, public opinion, um, you know, arena, public perception has such a huge role in these types of things as opposed to reality, which, you know, like you, the site that you mentioned is, is a lot closer to the reality of how people actually feel who they should be siding with. Um, but the truth is the perception is so different because that perception is what's been manipulated.
2: It, it's what's been, you know, Mm-hmm. And there's no such thing as a throwaway vote. Right. If, no, absolutely. if a throwaway vote is to vote for somebody you don't believe in, then that's actually throwing your vote away. Right. That's the biggest, that's like the propagation right. of the biggest lie. Right.
0: Well, that's through fear. In other words, if you vote for this person, who's obviously not going to win because you know they have a small percentage of support, then this evil person becomes ruler of your kingdom. That's why I don't want to throw away a vote. So that keeps you in a professional few We to- discussed this in another in previous podcast where you're always in fear every election. You're never voting for somebody you want. You're voting against
2: somebody you don't like. Yeah, don't be afraid to look past the campaign ads and the debates and whatever. Just- but,
1: but some people, unfortunately, I mean, that's all that they have access to. I mean, they you know, that's the, the unfortunate reality of this is that people are so you know, busy trying to stay, keep their heads above water, trying to, you know, make ends meet. they like, who has the time to independently research things and, you know, right. go and look outside of what they're being shouted at, you know, in, in television commercials between their, you know, one envelope. And with that, I mean, I, I sympathize or empathize, I guess. Um,
0: I never really show much to the difference between those two words. But, yeah, so I, I really feel for those people. <laughs> That's empathy. Okay, so I empathize <laughs> with... With that, with, break with that conundrum. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I empathize with the people in that position because I, I understand being in that position myself. I think almost everybody has who's not one of the 1%. But there are those that already have the knowledge. Okay. So there's, this is a, maybe a, a smaller group of people. And a perfect example, there's more than a couple of folks that I've talked to in recent years, part of the LBGT community. Okay. Gay, lesbian, what have you. And they were opposing gay marriage. Different reasons, okay, but it boggles my mind, right, to say here's here's a movement, here's a, a piece of legislation or a Supreme Court ruling that will basically treat you as an equal with the rest of the people around you, that it, that it will allow you to do whatever a straight couple wants to do. If you want to get married, you can you can do that, and they were opposed to it. So clearly they're they're aware of the of the pain of being discriminated against, right? They grew up and made fun of and so forth, not allowed to marry and so forth. Uh, and they're aware that here's something that could help them and they still reject it. So when I talk about, I mentioned earlier culture and maybe an individual mindset, it's so, the psychology is so strong that even when you have the information and you are aware and there's a button to press to change things, you just choose not to
1: press the button for, for whatever reason there is. I mean, conditioning plays such a strong role and it's really staggering to see, you know, when you, when you look at it, you know, objectively, when you're removed from it, you're not in the situation. It is so staggering to see what, you know, how strong a role conditioning and especially cultural conditioning, right. social conditioning plays on individual actors. Um, and it's a really, you know, it speaks to a very big paradigm of, you know, can we as individual agents alter the structure of the, you right. know, the culture of our society in a way that we can then allow that culture and society to, you know, Craft and, you know, builds individual agents in a way that, you know, benefits them. I mean, it's just like such a snake eating its tail. It's almost, (laughs) it's dizzying, really. But I think you you earlier mentioned, you're
0: listing this in in descriptions of how the corporate elite is or are. (laughs) The corporate elite, that's a singular term. So how the corporate elite is. Organized was one of the words you use. Highly organized, right? One of the descriptions. And it's that organization means they see the desperation. They know it's there poor populations, less educated, they're they're, they're more desperate, they don't have time to worry about change because they're trying to feed their family. Um, And they pipe in, they give outlets for their desperation in a way that doesn't have them do anything significant in changing their their lot in life, but still somehow makes the elites money. For instance, social media. I'll say that as a big proponent of Facebook, I'm on there all the time. Uh, You can sense the desperation on social media, right? People are up until 2 or 3 in the morning reposting cat videos. Yes, I'm calling myself <laughs> out, you know, um, because it makes them feel good. It's like a little drug. It's like, like, okay, this is pleasant. You know, this is interesting. This is funny. Even the outrage police that are on social media and reposting things that are, you know, horrible things that are happening in the world and in the country, that's another outlet. So that's, instead of time spent on, you know, organizing, you know, becoming highly organized ourselves, we have this really convenient, easy way to vent decompress, to share misery, misery with others because misery loves company. And it does help, okay? It helps the pain a little bit,
2: but it does two things. It doesn't do
0: anything for changing a
1: circumstance, the third thing. And two, it makes the elites more money. Well, and ultimately it's a, and definitely not coincidentally so, it's a, a, a huge method of distraction. Um, it's, you know, keeping people entertained, keeping people, you know, distracted. Keeping people pacified because you know that's a, a fantastic way of preventing revolt, preventing people from yeah. really you know starting to look around them, starting to ask questions. Um, you know, it's really brilliant. again, it's extremely organized and extremely methodical. Um, and and really, when you when you think about it, such in a big picture way, it's. It's almost unfairly easy to manipulate the masses in such a way right. um, that, you know, again, it's an unfair game. You See, and, and some would argue,
0: uh, I actually read this wholeheartedly because I, I read this in uh, a book that we are also praying for a previous podcast, but he said that an actual philosophy exists where the only true democracy that can happen is if the elites are, 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 are the smarter ones right? and the more capable ones to rule. So they actually, and this is actually something that's like taught. It's not even some sort of secret boardroom kind of thing where the masses cannot
1: rule themselves. They just don't have the ability. So the the good thing, so the good, like, as in like the good guy has to take care of him like a shepherd. Right. Yeah. And you touched about on this in in a previous podcast and it's, you know. So this is what this is. This is,
0: this is the good people doing the good work, trying to help
1: the rest of us out because we can't obviously do it ourselves
0: if we're so easily, easily manipulated.
1: And this is definitely not a new philosophical debate because you know it's essentially the essence of what Machiavelli's The Prince is about like what does a good leader do what is a good leader right and you know what does that even mean you know like it's all it all depends on the person saying it and it all depends on you know where it's coming from um it's hard to say like first of all what is even best for everyone but also to like how or who should even be the one to deliver that right right um
0: even on the Facebook search, if I'm on Facebook and I want to search someone or something, I get so distracted from the thing I'm searching for because I see a whole bunch of like little news stories in the bottom, you know, like so-and-so has done this or whatever. So then I'm I'm like, suddenly I find myself wanting to look at every single thing that Facebook has presented me as news. Even if only two or three really appeal to me, suddenly now my, my, um, well, Lee and I talk about the lists I like to make and go through. (laughs) I have to now check on every one. You know, so if I, if I see, you know, 15 items in a, in a search thing and four or five of them, you know, Cubs won a game, I click on that. Or, you know, Spurs, uh, today Kawhi Leonard is on the defensive player, uh, defensive, uh, all defensive teams, sorry, for the NBA. And I'm, I, and suddenly now I have two or three things checked off and there's a little blue dot on the things that haven't been checked. Right. I have
1: to check that. Out. And you're being, I hate I to break to. it to you. No, you I know. psychologically <laughs> manipulated, but it's hard. It's you know? hard.
0: I'm aware of this too. Like yeah. I can't let two or three go without
1: clicking on it cuz it takes like a minute or two but still that's a minute or two of my like, life it's a it's a pretty profound debate even just within the individual um how do you control this you know yeah. it's it's really a question of like motivation mm-hmm. versus free will and you know yeah if yeah. you if you can't even control yourself and your own urges and your own kind of will like how are we going to then restructure the entire right. society that you know probably has a large role in dictating that on the, you know, on the part of the individual, but, you know, how are we going to reshape things and what's best for everybody? And again, what's best for everybody? I mean, I think that that's probably part of why, you know, political, you know, cycles like the one we are in now, it's so difficult to see, like, who is actually best for everyone? Mm-hmm. A, because we have so many different interests represented uh, when you talk about, you know, the voting population, but also, too, like, who the hell even knows what the be- what's best for everyone? All right. And, can, and can, much less who, who can provide that for
2: us. Can I jump in real quick again? Of
1: course.
2: Um, like you see, you know, so back to the the Facebook kind of addiction, psychological addiction thing. Um, I was having issues not staring at my phone. And I so I, I put my phone screen into monochrome, black and white. And all of a sudden my brain had zero interest in anything my phone had to say. Yeah, because yeah. you made it objective. All the you pretty it, colors yeah. went away, and my my brain was like, uh, well, that was fun, but I mean, we don't need that anymore."
1: Yeah, and it, it was all
2: it was all gone.
1: You were able to actually look at it objectively. Yeah.
2: What value does this provide me? Exactly. So that was an int- I thought that was an interesting little little thing. <laughs>
1: yeah. And I, mean, um, I think that you kind of did a, a one man psychology experiment. Yeah. Yeah. And so, pretty revealing. So that's step one. All right. Change everything
0: to black and white, our computer screens, phones, <laughs> everything. So that way we see it for what it is, black and white, like Gnome like Chomsky style, really dry, just what's the information that's necessary, you know? Um, I think that's a, that's a great idea. So yeah, little things like that, little tricks you have to do now, because we're infiltrated not just daily, hourly, minutely with stuff. You know, I have alerts going off of my tab and my phone on ESPN stuff on, you know, like, I know who's transferring from Arsenal to, you know, another <laughs> team in soccer, which is a sport I don't really follow that much, you know. Um, but I'm notified because I'm curious about it, you know. So, um, so yeah. It, it, and they, they have, they being, I guess, the elites, we're talking about them as the boogeymen and women, they, mostly men, they have th- these pitfalls for everybody. So somebody like, you know, like somebody like us, we're just curious about everything and we want to click on everything and learn about things and talk about things. They have these, these traps. Where you're stuck forever, you know, learning about things that have nothing to do with getting you out of your hole, right? And then for those people that aren't as interested, you know, maybe they they only want to focus on one or two things, they'll give them that one or two thing, you know, American Ninja Warrior or whatever, you know, to talk about and watch every day or every week. Um, and, and so there's something for everybody <laughs> to get sucked into this, uh, matrix that, um, we don't even, we're not even sure if you want to get out of a lot of us aren't you know, as bad as the economics are, which is what we started on this, you know, the power of the dollar, the standard of living, having to work 80 hours a week instead of 40 hours a week to do the same things that we did 30 or 40 years ago, it still doesn't matter, you know, because human beings can adapt. And this is normally a good thing, right? Because we can adapt to tough situations and overcome, but we can also adapt and and live with less and be okay with that, you know? And I I, I say from personal experience too, like I, I find myself being just easier on myself going like, all right, even though certain conditions in my life may not be ideal with the amount of money I make or, you know, how I'm living or whatever, I seem to be at least in some way dealing with that. Okay. Like suffering quietly
1: (laughs) (laughs) and adjusting rather than than getting pissed about it. If I can again, re-inject the, you know, the inequality side of it, because, you know, again, you touched on a very important point that, you know, we all have less and we somehow have found a way, you know, for better or worse to deal with it. Um, a little, you know, pretty telling statistic of our current state, the 400 wealthiest Americans own as much as 80 million families in America, which makes up 62% of the population. Right. Um, The reason, you know, largely is the stock market um, as a means of, you know, controlling capital of controlling, consolidating power. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other hand, since the 1980s, um, which again is kind of, you know, a point of reference, Mm -hmm. since the 1980s, the American GDP has doubled, which means that our, we share our economy is not suffering. Yeah. Exactly. There is more wealth coming into our economy. Um, yet wages have continued to go down, right. um, almost at a, at a direct, you know, opposite correlation of GDP. Um, however, the stock market over that same period of time, uh, has increased in value over 10 times. Um, and the, obviously the richest, um uh, America is the richest quintile of Americans. 93% of the stock market.
0: And we have more. So we have more to play with, to use, to live off as a
1: country. Right. But it's going. It's just to... so massively consolidated yeah. that it's hard to even wrap your mind around right. how consolidated it actually is. But it's such that the rest of us somehow find ourselves with less than we had in the first place, despite the fact that there is proverbially more to go around. It just, it just doesn't. This is an idea. And for... So, I mean, I think that when you look long-term, like what really has to happen is that somehow the wealth has to redistribute, the resources have to redistribute. And if we can find a way to make that happen, you know, it's totally feasible, totally reasonable with the, you know, the, the momentum of technology, the, you know, the rapid growth of, you know, where we find ourselves as a collectively as a society, that everybody could be better off than they were, you know, before, mm-hmm. yesterday, the 1980s. Right. We could all be way better off than we are if we can find a way to eliminate money. Well, as a mean, eliminating money as a means of <laughs> redistributing wealth. Um, money in this discussion is, is really arbitrary. I mean, it's a, it's a method of control. It's a method of manipulation, but right. on the whole, if you're really looking at, you know, resources, what does it actually take to make us happy? Um, it's arbitrary. Um,
0: yeah. I mean, it's something maybe for another podcast we can discuss yeah. about, about actually the money itself, because automation, one of those things you brought up that hey, we had more automation that should make life easier.
2: Yeah, right? absolutely. Okay. So the idea of taking jobs away from people, I've never,
0: I've never liked that attitude about we must just have jobs like arbitrary. Let's just create a job so someone can have it. Right. No, let's live life. And we have to do things to live life and have a better life. We, we work hard. And, you know, resources are involved with that, right? So you may get a benefit from doing something that, that affects you. But it's not because there's a job. So, like, there's, um, oh, also, again, only because I recently listened to the Gary Johnson interview on Joe Rogan and talk about prisons. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. All Shout right, out to Joe Rogan. <laughs> this,
2: this, this podcast was brought to you, <laughs> um
0: the, the Prison guards have a union that were um, lobbying on, benefit, on on their benefit for certain legislation. And I forgot what, what state this was. It's, it's not that important, but there was a was New Mexico. was it, was it New Mexico Because yeah. Gary Johnson was the governor of that state okay? And th- so why so they were actually trying to expand the prison system, basically find ways to have laws passed in a certain way to get more people into the prison system, mainly the drug war, okay? drug laws, which I think most people that follow this know the drug war did not succeed and, you know, legalization of marijuana and so forth is happening state by state.
1: But well, hold around. on. We haven't given up yet. The drug war is not over. <laughs> <laughs> they can still turn around every day. <laughs> right? Right? Sure. right? Yeah, it's right? exactly. Right. So
0: so can you imagine prison guards trying to save their jobs
1: and this, this evil purpose now is to get more people in jail? Yeah. Well, again, like I said, money is really just a means of manipulation um, and money vis-a-vis jobs. Like, jobs are the way that you get money. And so, you know, Right. So, for the people on the ground, like, that's that's what I need for happiness is I need a job so that I can get money, so that I can be happy. Um, right. But in truth, that's not what we need to be happy. Right. We need the resources. We need the, you know, the other forms of wealth that money provides um, that are not necessarily, you know, Right. That don't necessarily require a job. I mean, think of how many, you know, greater purposes we could be serving that don't necessarily make that much of, you know, that much money right. or, or even jobs to begin with um, that could potentially be, you know, not only helping ourselves and having a greater so- sense of self-satisfaction, but also, you know, furthering our society, helping others.
0: Yeah, I, um, it, as, as long as we have... The legal system that we have, which includes, you know, breaks for you know, corporations to do whatever they want to do, uh, a monetary system that we have, and through that, through education, media, and, and all, and, and everything that comes down, to create a culture that we have, um, it, it's going to be very difficult to convince people that that we are that making more. We're making more money. If you want to talk about GDP, we're making we're making more than we ever had before, and yet we're most of us are the poorest we've ever been. So the only reason that's accepted now is because of everything we've talked about, you know, the distractions and, yeah. uh, and the culture. So uh, radical ideas may, may be the only way to get people's attention. Maybe, maybe we have to kind of play their game <laughs> and be a Facebook trend or a search. And, you know, nut job proposes limiting currency altogether. And, and, and for a compl- complicated barter system or something like that, you know, because then that takes, you know, capital out of the capitalists
1: because capital is basically the, the, the resources of money to start. I mean, I think that, the issue is how widespread capitalism is and not only capitalism, but the idea of capitalism, the normalization of it Mm -hmm. and the really, the almost religious experience of capitalism that we find ourselves in now, Mm -hmm. um, not only as a culture, you know, within our nation, but also just within Western society, which, you know, our mindset tends to pervade, you know, a large portion of the consolidated power. Right. Um, yeah. Because it benefits those with consolidated power, right. um, I think cons- capitalism is really the the long con that's been played against us all that we somehow have bought because it it parades itself as a, merit- a meritocracy. It parades itself as you know as an equal opportunity uh, endeavor mm-hmm. when in truth it's not. It's it's a rigged game from the beginning. It always has been, and you know <laughs> who the hell knows why we haven't figured it so out so yet. On the- you know, I mean, it, it makes you just want to like shake, shake the, you know, the metaphorical public and just like, yeah. Why, why haven't we figured this out? Well, because suffering won't do it, right?
0: So there has to be some sort of comparison, right? There has to be something that regularly shows that not only can you do better, because everybody seems to know that they could do better, but they're not urgent about doing better, all right? And and I, and I know it's a system's fault. I
1: get it. I get Yeah. It. And I mean, Marcus. part of those people don't realize how urgent they need to be. I mean, most people think that, oh, I'm smart or, oh, I'm, you know, I work hard or, you know, oh, I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. You know, good things are going to happen for me. That's how it works. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe as kids, we should learn, we should be taught something different.
0: Yeah. You know, that's a whole other issue about, about that. Cause it, that's established earlier. I, you know, yeah.
1: <laughs> I, mean, I, I think really we're, we're going full circle again back to the yeah. idea that, you know, it's really the society that. That teaches us and that normalizes these ideas for us to the extent that, you know, this is the way that things are for us. So if we taught, like, our kids lessons like this, like, hey, actually, society
0: kind of sucks, but you can you can manage, and if you realize that the system is rigged, basically almost like a doomsday scenario, the system is rigged, little Susie and little Johnny, and it's going to be really difficult, but you can get out of this. Just don't believe what, what people tell you, you know, <laughs> Including me. <laughs> no, just, just basically be, be more skeptical about, skeptical about what expectations are and the traditions are and, and every, on every concept from religion to money to government to everything, you know, be more skeptical and find a better way. And maybe that's something we could start with, with children, you know, to let them know. Cause once you get into a certain adulthood, whatever, it seems like, you know, just as we we're talking about, hopeless, you know, it's hard to get people's attention if they don't even realize there's something to worry about in the first place. So. Um I don't know, on that note, um,
1: I'm all petered out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think really we have found ourselves like circling back, but it's because these issues are such a deeply rooted, you know philosophical and you know almost eternal battle that we find ourselves in as a society as agents within a society, mm-hmm. um, it's such a large and complicated game that it tends to continue to repeat itself right. because it is so complicated that, you know, it's hard for us to grasp not, you know, not even mentioning change it or, you know, affect the system in, in a significant way. I mean, there's, 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 there's
0: got to be a way out and we'll, we'll figure it out probably next podcast, but something like energy, like having enough energy on your own, maybe for your home or your community where you're not dependent on someone else. And you can start kind of separating yourself out from that trap, you know, um, It's going to sound like somebody who's building a cabin in the woods, you know, (laughs) with solar powered, you know, uh, roofing, which is fine, but maybe that's the best way because that way you're you're telling people, my point is this, you you can grow your own food, you can become self-sufficient, but you have to, can be, you have to be convinced that that's the thing to do.
1: And it's hard to do when you're laying on your couch watching ESPN having a beer. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. at the same time, there are so many barriers to that. There are so many things that discourage you from that. Mm -hmm. Um, and restrict you from that, that I think that those those in themselves should be fairly telling as to why that's not a productive thing for the consolidated power.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that people waking up, going to the cabin in the woods, becoming self-sufficient, getting off the grid, mm-hmm. if you look at the effect that that would have on those with consolidated power, I mean, I think that you have your answer right there as to why, right. why that is so difficult, why there are so many barriers to so. Right. So that being, becoming a reality for a large, you know, a significant portion of people. Right. So we do what we can on that. Um,
0: I think I'm done for the night. Yeah. 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 Cause I, I, I want to go to bed and I have to work. <laughs> I have to get up and go to this job tomorrow. Yeah. So meanwhile, back, back to the cycle. <laughs> yeah. So we, we are also trapped in the cycle for those of us, uh, for those listening. So, um, yeah. Thanks for listening. We, we've got. I guess several other topics we want to discuss in the future, but I think today was an important one. On the standard of living, why has it changed? How much has it changed? How desperate has been? And to get that information
1: out there to people is, is important. Even if we don't know what to do with it, you have to have that knowledge. Yeah. I mean, I think awareness really is the first step in, in solving such a large and complicated issue, but really just making people aware and so that they can become more conscious actors. I'm so mad as hell, and I'm going to take it. <laughs>
0: I didn't sound very mad, but I was just quoting the movie. But anyway,
2: thank you, Lee. Uh, please check out our other podcasts on the Luos Podcast Network. Same RSS feed as this one. Thanks for listening. Have a good night.